Uh, my name is Ken Jones. I'm one of the five pastor elders here at the church and one of the seven members of the preaching team, and we're working through the book of Acts, and this week we're in chapter four. So um, my wife Linda and I, we were much younger, long, long, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, we lived in a, in a, in a Christian community uh, out in California. That's where we met. Uh, that in some ways, um, for us anyway, at the time, it felt a whole lot like the, the stories that we're reading about in, in Acts. It was, uh, we lived in one of the most freewheeling towns, frankly, the most lawless towns in America, a little town that's adjacent to UCSB in Santa Barbara and miles from anything else. So police kind of left it alone. Uh, when I got there, there were about 120 adults and probably 5,000 children. And uh, f- for about six years, we even lived uh, holding all things in common. We lived out of a common purse. And that actually resulted, I, nobody ever knew why we were doing that exactly, except that it was fun uh, and challenging. But in the end, the Lord used it in a big way when uh, Southeast Asia fell and we sponsored almost as many people as we had in our community. Um, but for me, when I moved there, when I was 21, I encountered a bunch of people who were more singularly focused on Jesus than any group of people I've ever met in terms of continuously, like all the time, 24-7. It was a, it was a, uh, a strange time in America. There were a lot of crazy things going on all over the country, both in terms of the Holy Spirit blowing and little communities like this growing up and all kinds of other things happening that were less um, focused on the kingdom of God. Um, but it wasn't religious, but we spent... Our mornings were marked by getting up, uh, often in little groups of two or three. Uh, we'd get up in the morning just to be with the Lord and spend time with Him and worship and sing and pray. Uh, our meal times were always full of singing. We just got together. We ate together. We lived together. We we just uh, we'd hear reports from each other about what the Lord had been doing in our lives that day, and we'd like to march down the street. We did this pretty often, actually. March down the street, uh, singing the top of our lungs, often on our way down to the beach to baptize people. Um, one time, uh, we, uh, the, the Grateful Dead was playing in town at the stadium, and, and we had a big march. Just go down. We went down the street carrying signs. We're grateful to be alive and singing all these songs. And uh, sometimes we'd, we'd have meetings in an outdoor park downtown, and we'd just have a regular meeting where we're singing and preach the gospel, and people would come by because it was, it was a hippie town, and people were always just checking things out. And another time we would, you know, for a while we rented space downtown and we would uh, feed people, share the gospel. It was, it was a pretty wild time and it was great. It was fun. Now, I don't want you to think that this place wasn't sinless or was sinless because it wasn't. It was populated by people. And as Linda likes to say, only God can love Christians. Um, but, uh, you know, we had our share of problems, but we spent a ton of intentional time with Jesus. We just spent a lot of time with the Lord and it was um, fun. It was exciting. It was great. The joy of the Lord overcame a lot of the problems. And um, we lived like those, these people who were in the world, but belonged to another kingdom and had a different king. And that's what marked the place and caused me to come there. You know, there was a bunch of people who were not ashamed to talk about Jesus among each other, which by the way, if it's hard for you to share the Lord with your people, your friends at work, 
you know, it's hard for us to talk about Jesus among each other. We don't do it that much. We do it in very prescribed sort of settings. (laughs) But we just talked about the Lord all the time. Anyway, as we read at the end of Acts 4, great grace was upon this group of people and lots of people like that. It was a, it was a wild time in, in America. It was rich time. It was a fun time. And that's relevant as we continue looking at the story of the first century Christians, because these first chapters that we're reading in Acts are marked by the joy. They were enjoying discovering what it was like to be with Jesus, even though he had ascended, that he was still there. And they were in a sense, I mean, the, the sense that they belonged to a different kingdom was palpable. And, but chapter four, as, as Betsy alluded to, begins to give us a sneak peek into the suffering that is to come. So these first early days are just heady with joy, but there's, there's, there's opposition to the gospel. There's opposition to Jesus. The gates of hell will not prevail, but they will try. And they begin. The Lord is building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Well, anyway, this book, as you know, is called Acts. In some translations, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I've heard it referred to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. My favorite title for this book is The Continuing Acts of Jesus Christ on Earth. Because as we read these stories, Peter, as Joel pointed out last week, anchors everything that's happening in the person of Jesus. That's who's doing these things. So, Lord, my prayer this morning is that you will, this afternoon, help us to uh, be captivated by the fact that you are an active presence in the world, that you, yourself, Lord Jesus, seated on the throne, are active on the earth at the same time. Help us, Lord. Well, two weeks ago, as you know, Jordan preached through the second chapter of Acts about the day that Pentecost was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit came, 120 people in that room were so overwhelmed by it that um, it was a disruption. It was so disruptive. Joel calls it a, a holy disruption. This activity of Jesus among these people caused a commotion. Now all kinds of people were looking around saying, what the heck is going on here? The onlookers were questioning. They were mocking. They were amazed. They were perplexed. Those are all words right in the text. Well, Peter told them two things. First, the thing you're seeing is what the Lord promised. His spirit would be poured out. And the second thing is that he lifted up the name of Jesus. He made it clear that everything that was going on here had to do with Jesus. Then last week, Joel spoke to us out of chapter three and told us the story of a lame man who had been lame for 40 years, sitting in one place begging on the, one of the, at one of the gates of the temple grounds. And uh, in the name of Jesus, he began to walk. Now, it's interesting to me. Peter didn't say, I've done a few weddings. And at the end, you say, by the power vested in me, by the church and by the state of Maine. Uh, he didn't say, by the power vested in me by the church or by the Holy Spirit. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He located, as Joel said, this is one of my things that Joel said, he located the healing squarely in the power of Jesus and not in some vague spirituality. Well, Joel's theme last week was disruption and explanation. When God disrupts the status quo, we have an opportunity to explain what's going on. And that is what Peter did that day. Well, after the disruption, Peter told everybody what was going on and invited them to repent. He challenged them and invited them. 
And I tell, go through that all again, because this week, this story is actually a continuation of last week, because right after that, um, Peter and John get arrested for this. So we're going to read a little bit. This is Acts 4, beginning at the begin, at the at chapter, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, that's Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who were all of the high priestly family. And when they had set Peter and John in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you have, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you and the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. Betsy read that earlier. Now this, I want you to catch this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing right next to them, they had nothing to say. And they commanded them to leave the council. And then they kibitzed among each other, like, what are we going to do now? This thing is too big. So they called them together, charged them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people. For everyone was praising God for what had happened because the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than, had, was more than 40 years old. The chapter opens by telling us why they were arrested. The stated reason has nothing to do with the healing. They didn't get arrested because they healed this man. They got arrested because they were annoyed. So it's, it's interesting to try to think, well, what was so annoying to them? They were. They were annoyed, angered, frustrated, because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Very briefly, who are these leaders? Betsy already touched on it. They're the same people who sent Jesus to the cross probably about eight weeks earlier. We don't know the exact timing because... Luke doesn't tell us how quickly chapter 3 follows chapter 2, but we think this is a pretty compressed time. The Sanhedrin was formed of um, that Annas, the, the high priest, and his high priestly, you know, Caiaphas was there. Uh, Caiaphas was the named high priest. Annas was the high priest in actuality. Uh, his sons were there. The Sanhedrin is controlled. The most powerful group in the Sanhedrin are the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees are also a very significant power. So the Sadducees are really bent out of shape because they're preaching the resurrection of the dead. 
through Jesus. But the Sanhedrin as a whole is upset because they thought they had done away with this problem of Jesus about two months earlier. And here it is right back in their face. Think about this. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches this. In the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people turn their lives over to Jesus, this person who's supposed to be gone. And now, this is even worse. After this lame man is healed and Peter preaches in, at Solomon's porch in the temple grounds that Joel talked about last week, it says that the number of men who followed Jesus came to 5,000, which extrapolated, has, there has to be now at least 10,000. 3,000 has to have grown to 10,000. Now, I want you to think about this. In the city of Portland proper, there are only 65 or 70,000 people. I don't know if you knew that. The greater Portland area is obviously a lot larger than that. But 65, 70,000, that's just a little smaller than the size of Jerusalem at the time, the population of Jerusalem at the time. I want you to imagine what would, what would, what would it be like if in the city of Portland, eight or ten, eight to 10,000 people became Christians in the space of a few weeks? What would that do to this city? And for these people, it's, it isn't just, uh, the, the arrival of some new religion, it is the threatening of the religion and the power base that they already have. They're basically faced with the prospect that more than 10% of the population of their city has suddenly turned their lives over and their allegiance over to a king, a person who they thought they had gotten rid of two months earlier. Well, so that's why they're on trial. And they, they get sent away. Well, what, in this first half of the chapter, there are four things that, I, that jump out that I want to just, I'm going to go over really quickly. Well, I'm not going to, it may not be quickly. I shouldn't lie. <laughs> Here's what the list is. The list will be quick. Um, the disciples, in verse 13, the disciples were recognized as having been with Jesus. We're going to come back and spend some time on that. Second, the disciples and the believers in general were, 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 were they were Holy Spirit-filled ambassadors of a king named Jesus, authorized by that king to speak on his behalf and act in his behalf, do things on his behalf. The third thing is that the disruptive thing that happened was done by Jesus, just as if, as if he were here in bodily form. It, it reads just like the miraculous stories that got the Sadducees and Pharisees got upset when the Lord was doing them before he ascended to the Lord. And lastly, that the believers were compelled. They weren't compelled by some sort of, you know, just raw duty or obedience. They were compelled by joy to talk about Jesus all the time. They couldn't stop speaking what they'd seen and heard. Well, being with Jesus. They were recognized as those who had been with Jesus. That could be something as simple as saying they recognized them as people who used to hang around with Jesus when he was in the, you know, when he was on the earth. But I think it means a heck of a lot more than that. It is the very fact that they had been with Jesus and were still with Jesus in spirit that caused them to be bold men capable of great eloquence in spite of their lack of education. They were ambassadors of King Jesus to a needy world, and they were authorized by him to speak for him in his name. 
This reminds us, reminded me anyway, as I was preparing of the story in Matthew 10, when Jesus sent the 12 out for the first time on a mission without him. He called them together. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He told them he was sending them out as sheep among wolves, and they should be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, and they should be wary of men because they would call them before the courts. Then he said to them, when you're handed over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Joel said last week that he, he, he harbors a longing for this kind of revival. I do too, for the kind of, to, to see what the Lord can do on the earth that causes men's, men and women's heart to turn to him. Miraculous signs and wonders do happen in other parts of the world. They don't happen much here. Um, you know, our, our longing for that is that the hearts and mind of, of people would be turned to Jesus, captured by Jesus, so they can be freed from the domain of darkness, delivered into the kingdom of his son. Well, I think if we want to pursue this, the first order of business is spending more time with Jesus. This idea that they were recognized as having been with him was a hallmark of who they were. It was being in his presence when he was with them for three and a half, four years. It was being in his presence today that marked them. They were ambassadors of King Jesus. Jesus was the one who was doing this work, according to Peter. So what did these guys do? What did they come and say? Again, Betsy read a lot of this. Peter, once again, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, it has been, it is in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. The lame man wasn't healed by the action of Peter or John. He wasn't even raised up by the Holy Spirit. He was raised in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter's point is Jesus is here. He is present. He is now and he is still healing people in this city. It drove the Jewish leaders nuts. It drove them crazy to have these people speaking about in the name of Jesus, as if Jesus were a king who had authority and that somebody could speak in that name and do things. Now, you guys understand ambassadors. We send ambassadors to other countries. Other countries send ambassadors to America. Ambassadors are in countries to speak on behalf of the nation that sent them. That's what they do. They speak for the nation that sent them. That was true back then. There were, there were Roman governors who spoke on behalf of Caesar. There were priests who spoke on behalf of God. So the idea that someone would speak in the name of Jesus is a slap in their face, basically saying, oh, by the way, sorry, we actually have another king from another kingdom, and we're here speaking in his name, and he is, we're acting on his behalf. So they were determined to stop them, to shut them up. But as we read, there was little they could do at the time other than send them away with the sort of empty threat. Don't, don't do this anymore. Um, that threat will get less empty as we will read on in the chapters to come. People begin to die for the name of Jesus. But right now they just get sent home and they, before they leave, they famously say, 
we can't stop speaking what we've seen and heard. And it wasn't, as I said, a matter of just obedience. It was a matter of being filled to overflowing. They were a living example of a cup overflowing. Peter writes this later in 1 Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I think that is what was animating Peter and John that day. Well, I have to ask myself, does this mark my life? Am I so grateful for the love of God in Christ and so overwhelmed by his presence that I live in, that I can't shut up about him? Let's read the rest of the chapter really quickly. I'm going to skip parts of it because Betsy read a good deal of it. So they went back to their friends and they reported what had happened. They lifted up their voices in prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of a father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that they had belonged to him. They held everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, and there was not a needy person among them. So when Peter and John returned to their friends, told them everything that happened, the first thing they did was pray. And the prayer that they pray invokes the God of creation, the very God who created, who had become a creature. That's who they prayed to. And Betsy made this point. I don't really need to make it again, but I'll just highlight what Betsy already said. They did not pray for protection. They did not pray for deliverance. They didn't pray for the Holy Spirit. They prayed for boldness. They just prayed for boldness to keep speaking. And they prayed that that boldness would allow them to speak while the Lord himself stretches out his hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through his name. And the result was the place was rocked and filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word with boldness. Well, what could we say from all of this? There's no substitute for being with Jesus. Hanging around with Jesus will lead to you being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God the spirit of the father, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in him, to soak in him. He's alive and present. He means to be alive and present and continuing to do his work through his body. And what a joy that is. So spend time with Jesus. Look for him in your prayer closet. 
Look for them in the gathering of the saints as you tell each other stories about how you've noticed Jesus working in your life. Look for him in the scripture. Be mindful of him in your quiet times and in the middle of your fight with your wife. Jesus is there. Whether you're in peace or in the valley of the shadow of death, whether you're happy or in the midst of strife, whether you're rejoicing at his goodness and his bounty, or you're bowed down in shame by your own sinfulness, look for him. He is there. Spend time with him. It's, it is always the right time to be spending time with him because that is the source of the boldness that drove Peter and John, and it will be the source of boldness that drives us. And secondly, pray. Pray for the boldness to keep speaking what you see and heard, see and hear as you hang around with the Lord Jesus. Pray for each other to have that boldness. Come with one heart and one soul and one mind corporately and pray for it. Pray for the Lord's servants that the gospel message will continue to go forward with boldness all over the world. Now, there is no guarantee that if we pray all the quote-unquote right prayers that we're going to get a certain kind of result, that the place is going to be rocked, that we're going to have a certain kind of Holy Spirit experience, or even that we're going to see some kind of um, particular manifestation of the Lord's work on the earth that we hope for. But I think it's unlikely that we will see the Lord's, the manifestation of his work if we are not spending time with him and praying boldly for that boldness. So let's, let's keep doing that. Pray for each other, pray for yourself, pray for his workers all over the world. And lastly, to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is showing to us. You know, in, in Ephesians 2, Paul writes that, that we've been created for good works that have already been designed for us by the Father to walk in. So paying attention to that, looking for what he has for us to do. We're going to um, come to the table, which is a bit of a euphemism because we do not have a table, but we do have the elements here. And I think there's some people who are going to come up and Joel's going to grab that box and take it away from me so I don't breathe on anybody. Um. The table is a, is, a, is a visible representation of the fact that God the Son, an eternal member of the Trinity, actually came to earth as a human. He came to earth as a man. He took on flesh. The creator became a creature. This bread and this cup remind us that he was a man, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead and that he ascended to the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, from which he sent to us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself, that he might be the corporate head of the body. So as we come and we take this, and uh, just hang on to this as they hand it to you, and I'll, I'll give you a few instructions. As we take this, we do it with reverence for all that the Lord did for us on the cross, but we do it rejoicing that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the, of the son of his love. The father has delivered us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we can rejoice in that today as we take this bread and this cup. We've been set free and let loose on the world. The little cup you have in your hand has a little, there's a wafer on the top of it. So there's actually two lids, if you will. You want to peel the little tiny thing off the top and the wafer will come out. And then you can peel the larger one, and it, it allows you to get to the, to the juice. 
Um, some people like to dip it in and then take it that way. Other people put the bread in their mouth and eat that by itself and then the juice and some do even both of them at the same time. I'll tell you, there isn't a right or wrong way to take these elements, but the heart issue is more important than the practical way that you ingest it. You know, we're exhorted to examine our hearts before the Lord. Um, we don't take the cup lightly because the, the Lord did not give his life lately. So look at your heart. If your heart is hard this afternoon, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And if your heart is full of sorrow this afternoon, shed your tears before the Lord and feel his compassionate arms around you. And let us be those who are recognized as having been with Jesus. I'm going to pray for us this prayer from Psalm 145. You can go ahead and play. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. You are great, O Lord, and highly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. O Lord, cause us to be those who meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works. Cause us to be those who spend time with you. We want to be those who speak to your people in the world and the power of your awesome acts and who proclaim joyfully your greatness, your goodness, and your righteousness. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones will bless you. And we shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. And we, we, we will make known to all people your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures for all generations. We will extol you, our God, O King, and we will bless your name forever and ever. Amen. Let's take the bread and cup together. <clears throat>